When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But I throw my best though, oh man, so Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. You're listening to a clip of Harry by the Midwestern. This five-piece folk band from Cincinnati, Ohio is our featured Ohio musical artist tonight. So hang out with us to the end of the podcast. We'll tell you all about them and let you listen to that entire song. But right now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. Let's dig up a new Ohio mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our award-winning journalist, Paula Schleiss, who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Acker Beacon Journal. Hi, everybody. Hey, Steve, I think I've discovered the first villain I've ever truly wanted to sit down and have lunch with. <laughs> well, America has been known to fall in love with some of its villains, so you've got a crush on someone? I, I think I might. Was it a gangster like John Dillinger or Bonnie and Clyde? Nah, those guys were killers. I could never have a crush on a killer. I'm talking about someone I'll bet you've never heard of, but someone who was once considered the most infamous human being ever to set foot in Southeast Ohio. (laughs) Well, I have no idea who that is. Well, that's because we're going to go back to the early 1800s. So I'm a couple of centuries too late to ask for that lunch date. But we know quite a bit about this bad boy because the newspapers loved to write about his exploits. He was the handsome, charismatic, and incorrigible horse thief and counterfeiter, Shep Tinker. Well, I have no idea who that is, so I think I'll just sit back and listen to this one. Well, you know I love to surprise people with things they don't know, so let me tell you Shep's story. And as I said, Shep Tinker was never known to take a life. So if you feel like smiling while we recount the colorful tale of this Perry County career criminal, don't feel too guilty. His story may still have the power to charm you the way he charmed so many in his day. Shep certainly wasn't raised to be a villain. He was born Shepherd Tinker in 1810 in Massachusetts to a respectable, law-abiding, and prosperous New England couple, Elisha and Lydia Tinker. 
When Shep was a boy, they moved to Ohio, settling in Putnam County for a couple of years, then moving to their forever home in Monroe Township of the newly formed Perry County. It's about 25 miles from Zanesville. Shep's dad erected and opened a tavern for wayfarers. It was called Tinker's Tavern, and it was the only building between Athens and Zanesville. It was perched atop one of the highest hills in Perry County and afforded visitors a breathtaking view of miles around. Shep, one of nine siblings, was smart as a whip, pleasant, affable, loved to talk to people, and made friends easily. But his uncommon intelligence and charisma was matched by an uncommon wild streak. Even as a boy, he was the ringleader of a group of young rascals who caused mischief in the community. Never violent stuff, just very annoying stuff. But even as a lad, he demonstrated leadership abilities that would attract people to him his whole life. Now, when he was 20 years old, a horse was stolen from the barn of a farmer named Hiram Flowers in the village of New Lexington. They didn't hang horse thieves in Ohio the way they made a habit of it later out west. But still, in 1830, a horse was a valuable and critical part of frontier life. One night, Shep got drunk at a local tavern and decided to boast about being the one to steal that horse. Oh, how he loved sharing the details of his daring crime and how he got away with the prized equine. After word of his colorful confession reached authorities, they hunted down Shep, tried him on the spot, and convicted him on no evidence other than his drunken bragging. He was given a six-year prison sentence. It took a while, but Shep eventually was able to prove he couldn't have stolen the horse. He had a rock-solid alibi that put him 25 miles away. His own love of telling tall tales had done him in. And so he was pardoned and released from jail. But Shep later said that was the moment he decided to accept the title that the law had given him. He wasn't a horse thief before, but he'd be a horse thief now. And when he was released, he began assembling his gang, the Tinker Gang of Professional Horse Thieves. They had a pretty steady and quite efficient business going. On the outside, Shep appeared to be a reputable horse trader. But what they were doing was stealing horses in southern Ohio, only the very finest, hiding them in caves, like the one that bears his name today, then herding them to auctions in northern Ohio, as far away as Lake Erie and Sandusky. On the way back from the auctions, they would steal horses in northern Ohio and sell them to farmers in the south part of the state. 
they learned a lot of tricks, like putting horseshoes on backwards so it appeared the horse they'd taken was headed in the opposite direction, and painting or covering markings and patterns on their stolen horses' coats. There were even accounts of Shep's gang selling stolen horses back to their unwitting original owners. And Perry County was very adapted to the needs of Shep's hideout. It was sparsely settled and covered with heavy forest, patches of meadow for grazing, and lots and lots of ravines and rocky niches. People could suspect Shep was behind the thefts all they wanted, but the evidence was always well hidden. By 1840, Shep Tinker was infamous, his name a terror to farmers, not only in Ohio, but bordering states as well. It was said he had acquired an associate in nearly every county in Ohio. His cunning was legendary. On one occasion, Shep helped himself to a horse belonging to a physician in Nelsonville, Dr. James Drew. Dr. Drew gave pursuit, leaping on a fresh horse and chasing after the unidentified bandit. Shep had a head start, but when he saw the gap was narrowing, he had to come up with a plan. Shep wrapped the nose of his stolen horse in a white cloth. It was night, and in the dark of those woods, the cloth gave the appearance of a natural marking. Then Shep turned the exhausted horse around and began slowly trotting back down the road toward Dr. Drew. As the two men approached each other, Dr. Drew didn't recognize the camouflaged horse as his own all-black steed. So he hailed the rider and asked if he'd seen anyone on the road up ahead. Shep said, oh yes, there was a rider going lickety-split down the road. So the doctor thanked him and hurried on. Now, I told you Shep had a reputation for being particularly intelligent, and he put that brain to work in court, often. Anytime one of his gang got caught, Shep would show up in court to help defend him. I mean, everyone knew Shep was the godfather of this gang, but his contemporaries said most lawyers couldn't trip him up. He knew the law, the loopholes, and every technicality. Shep was also a family man. Uh, Okay, no, not a family man, but he had a family. Early in his esteemed criminal career, Shep got married. In 1832, he traded vows with Mary Ann Blackstone, the daughter from a highly respected family in Athens County. In the years that followed, Shep and Mary Ann had six children. And while Perry County was their home for half a century, Shep was missing in action for much of it. His absences started in 1843. After Shep decided to expand his criminal empire to include counterfeiting. Turned out, horse thieving wasn't lucrative enough to pay all those associates he had all over the state. So he took up counterfeiting to supplement their financial needs. But then 
he got caught, busted with fake loot in Zanesville. According to a story in the Daily Courier, no doubt appears to exist as to his guilt, as he had at the time in his possession a large amount of bogus plaster and had succeeded in passing a considerable amount on our citizens. Well, Shep went to jail, but he wasn't in jail for long. You see, Shep was one good-looking man and catnip to the ladies. And there was a girl serving meals to the prisoners who fell hard for him. He convinced her to steal the keys to his cell, and he escaped. Now, he couldn't exactly go home. Everyone knew where he lived with his wife and children. And the sheriff had put together a posse of 10 men, and they trailed him for two weeks. So Shep paid a brief visit to his wife, and then he fled Ohio. He left the gang in the hands of his top lieutenant, a man named Harry Rayner, and the gang kept the horse-stealing enterprise going. Rayner, by the way, would become infamous on his own. He would earn a reputation in New York when he stole a whole herd of cattle in Orange County. Now, for the next 10 years, Shep Tinker roamed the Midwest and the West, never far from trouble. News of his travels found their way home from time to time. Locals heard he'd been pretending to be a Methodist minister, and he was training new horse thieves along the way. In one report, he would put on his collar, draw a crowd, and while he was preaching, his associates would round up the horses of the congregation and lead them away. Then the Reverend Shep would look shocked, jump on his horse, and lead a posse of men to go find the stolen horses, although he was always leading the chase in the wrong direction. There were also rumors that he had become so rich, he'd built a palatial residence on the Iowa River. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We're not sure about any of that, but we do know he ended up in prisons in Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, and Wisconsin. This particular detour in his life lasted about a decade. By 1855, Shep was back home, and he had a new career in mind. He wanted to run for office, and he campaigned on the notion that he was uniquely qualified for the post of Justice of the Peace in the city of Zanesville in Muskingum County, because who better to deal with criminals than a criminal? I know all about crime, so you couldn't do better, he said. He also said, as part of his campaign rhetoric, 
that if he couldn't be a justice of the peace, he would become a highwayman. Well, he lost that election, and that's when Shep Tinker turned to highway robbery. He robbed a judge and a clergyman of their horses while they were out on the road. He must have been getting a little rusty at this because he was caught, sentenced to 10 years in prison, and served five. Best I can tell from every story I read, Shep never finished his prison sentences. He was always paroled or pardoned, having exhibited perfect manners and behavior and charm during his incarceration. This time it was no different. Now, after he was released, he ran for Justice of the Peace a second time, this time in his home county of Perry. That second attempt was 1862. And this time he campaigned on a promise that he would rid the entire region of horse thieves and become a law-abiding citizen himself. Keep in mind, at that time, Shep Tinker was probably the most famous human being ever known to walk in Southeast Ohio. And they say name recognition is everything. This time, he won. The office term was for three years and paid $10 annually, a pittance even then. But that was only officially. According to one newspaper account, the general impression was that Shep would make it pay better by getting his neighbors by the ears and reaping a rich harvest in the way of court costs. And so it stunned Shep's clerk of court, Obi Spencer, when just weeks after taking office, Shep presented him with his resignation. Here's how that conversation went, according to one newspaper. Why, Shep, said the clerk, why are you resigning? I had an idea that you would make the office profitable as well as honorable. Seems to me it's safer to be a justice of the peace than to follow your own trade. The fact is, began Tinker, of the strongest of moral reasons for resigning. My conscience forbids me to hold the office a day longer. To which the clerk said, The devil, you say, your conscience troubles you? And old Shep said, That's easy enough understood when you know all the circumstances. I've got just one case on my docket. Charlie Schneider versus Jim Jones, action for a debt of $285. Evidently, Schneider's claim is not very good, for he paid me $50 to give him judgment. Then I learned Jones's defense is bad, for he paid me $60 to decide in his favor. As a man of honor, I can't keep the money of both and decide against either. Consequently, I want to resign and let my successor try the case. So, there you have it. Apparently, the Office of Justice of the Peace was simply too corrupt for Shep Tinker to abide. However, I did also find stories that said Shep had no choice but to resign, that it was made clear to him that even though he won the most votes, his criminal record had made him ineligible to serve. It was said that Shep did make good on his promise anyway, that he drove the horse thieves from Perry County 
and reformed, settling down on the farm so near the place where he was raised. Or did he? There's a debate over the next chapter in Shep Tinker's life, his role in the Civil War. There doesn't seem to be a record that can clear this up. Some say he served as a Union soldier. Other locals who knew him said, no way. He stayed home and profited by peddling stolen horses to both Union and Confederate troops. One unconfirmed legend is that Shep Tinker outfitted John Morgan's Raiders. If true, that would have been 1863, the year after Shep resigned his Justice of the Peace job and was being praised for getting rid of horse thieves. John Morgan was a Confederate Major General who thought it sucked that most of the fighting in the Civil War was taking place in his beloved southern states and that it was time to bring the terror of the war to the North so those Yankee civilians could get a taste of it. It was also General Morgan's hope to cause enough commotion so that the Union Army would have to divert some of the troops doing battle in the South and return them North to defend the home front. So for four months, General Morgan led 2,500 Confederate soldiers from Tennessee all the way into northern Ohio, raiding some 4,500 homes and businesses along the way, destroying a few dozen bridges, wrecking some railroad crossings, and just causing enough of a panic that he succeeded in getting the attention of the Union Army. His spree lasted about four months before Morgan finally surrendered in Columbiana County. Now, I never saw Shep admit to reporters that he kept Morgan's raiders in fresh horses, but there were contemporary news reports that seemed to assume he had done just that. Whether that particular allegation was true or not, we do know that old age did not stop Shep from his wicked ways. A story from a Des Moines, Iowa newspaper in 1874 told the outcome of a trial in which Shep, who apparently was away from home again, was indicted for assaulting a woman named Ella Lackmiller. It appears Ella was a prostitute that Shep patronized regularly. The newspaper explained this by saying, she was a woman who was used to receiving visitors and strangers at unreasonable hours of the night. Shep was according to the story, a frisky youth of 65, and the prosecuting witness is 36 years of age. Now, testimony described bruises on the woman's limbs after Shep had visited her one night, and the prosecutor told the jury that no matter how debased a character the woman was, he didn't have the right to assault her. The jury agreed and Shep was sentenced to five years in the Iowa penitentiary. The story said Shep would soon be dressed in the same kind of clothes he used to wear in Columbus, Ohio, and probably will choose the same occupation he followed there, as no fancy horses are allowed inside the walls of the penitentiary. Well, Iowa clearly didn't appreciate Shep enough to keep him the full five years, because two years later, he was back home. 
A story in the 1876 Caldwell Press said, The notorious Shep Tinker is in town this week. He is not dead by any means. He is becoming bowed with age and hardship, but the fire of his eye is not dimmed, and the evidence of genius cannot entirely be concealed by the dissipated life he has led for many years. By the way, a couple of weeks later, that same newspaper published a warning to the local citizens that Shep was in possession of $10,000 worth of counterfeit money. I mean, clearly, they loved the guy. They just didn't want his bogus plaster. Now, a reporter hunted down Shep and got him to talk about his life again. The reporter said Shep had fallen down a cellar and was wearing his arm in a sling. And he asked Shep if he was not getting old and useless. To which Shep said, give him three days, and he would jump further than the interviewer. Shep relived his heyday, saying he'd probably stolen about 400 horses. He also talked about Shakespeare, Homer, Milton, and Byron, offering to recite passages that he had memorized. Others in the story wanted to talk about Shep's charity. To many in Perry County, Shep was Robin Hood. He easily parted with money to those he found destitute or suffering. The reporter asked Shep how could he maintain his farm if he was giving away so much. And Shep said, All I ever gave to the poor, I stole from the rich, and I have not spent all of it yet. Shep was in the news again in 1880 when the 70-year-old went to vote. The county rejected his ballot, suggesting he had escaped a Wisconsin prison. And since he didn't have the documents to show he had actually been reprieved, he was ineligible. Shep produced eight reprieves from eight state penitentiaries and told the election board to take their pick. They allowed him to cast his vote. It was also that year that Shep's wife, Mary, died. She had always been home waiting for him, and he was said to have been heartbroken. In 1882, Shep was admitted to a Perry County infirmary in a report that called him destitute. Two years later, newspapers reported he had died. The cause of death is unknown, though old age after a hard life is a pretty good guess. But his burial site is a mystery. Although Tinker's family is buried in a cemetery on Spencer Ridge in southeastern Perry County, the grave of southeast Ohio's most favored and beloved horse thief has never been found. Research by his family suggested his place of death was in western Pennsylvania though it's unknown why he would have been traveling at that time. Now, I said at the start of this episode, you can visit Tinker's Cave. I haven't been there myself, but I found this description. It's a rock shelter tucked between two ridges at the head of a valley near Shawnee Tower. It was carved by an ancient creek beneath overhanging rocks. And in the hundreds of years since it was formed, it is surmised that Indians took shelter under the rock roof. In Shep Tinker's day, it would have been large enough to stable 20 horses. Just Google Tinker's Cave for directions for your next day trip. 
Steve, have you ever heard of Tinker's Cave? I've heard of Tinker's Creek up in Cleveland, but I've never heard of Tinker's Cave. You know, I did not research Tinker's Creek. I'd be interested to know whether there's a connection. Maybe. Tinker's Cave, it's it's down in the Wayne National Forest. That's in uh, by New Straitsville in Hocking County. There's a big rock shelter, and it was carved by an ancient creek beneath these overhanging rocks. It's almost certain that Indians would have used this unique feature for shelter back in the day. But in Shep Tinker's day, it was the perfect stable for up to 20 of his stolen horses. So the next time you're in the mood for a day trip, Google Tinker's Cave and maybe go check it out. I haven't been there myself, but I know Hocking Hills. And if this area is anything like that, I'm sure it's worth a hike. I'll do that. And hey, if the ghost of Shep ever shows up to claim that lunch, give me a call. I think I'd like to join that conversation. You got it. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news, clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. And that brings us to tonight's featured Ohio musical artist. The Midwestern hails from Cincinnati, and this lovable bunch of guys includes Jim on vocals, guitar, and harmonica, Mark on guitar and vocals, Brendan on drums, Anthony on bass, and Adam on lead guitar. They play rock with a folksy bent and are influenced by the likes of Bob Dylan, Wilco, Neil Young, and Eddie Vedder. Be sure to follow them on social media. And as always, if you find a song you like, buy it. Let's support our very talented Ohio musical artists. Well, let's have another listen to Harry by the Midwestern, and we'll see you here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries.
The Korean War has sadly been known as the Forgotten War, but half a century earlier, the United States was locked in a bloody conflict in Asia that's been all but erased from the history books. Hi, I'm Alex Hasty, the host of Ohio vs. the World, an American history podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. In our newest episode, we speak to experts about the Philippine-American War, America's first Asian counterinsurgency conflict. The heroes, the villains, we'll discuss President McKinley, Admiral Dewey, the vicious brutality of the fighting and the scandals and war crimes that nearly sunk Theodore Roosevelt's presidency. Check out our show, Ohio vs. the World, on the Evergreen Podcast Network for our new episode about America's most forgotten war. Now back to the show. Hey 